Welcome back to NNT Talks Podcast. I'm your host, Sean. And today we have Pinder Van Armen, who is an AI artist, massive artist in NFT space. His work's been collected by some of the biggest collectors, but also on the flip side, he's a big collector himself. He's collected early Genesis pieces of X copy. He's been on Super Rare from the beginning. So you're going to hear a lot of gems, a lot of history about NFTs and how he got into the space. So make sure you subscribe, make sure you share, and let's help build this community. Welcome back to the NFT Talks podcast. I'm here with another great guest. Uh, he's been doing crypto art since 2018. Uh, he's the AI artist that teaches computers how to paint. You can say that. Um, he's been on BBC Worldwide, HBO News, TED Talks. Welcome, Pindat Van Arman. How are you? Good. I'm great. Thanks for having me here. Thanks for coming on, man. Like This talk, I feel, is going to be very interesting because I'm going to learn a lot. Um, I really, <laughs> there's a there's a lot of things that you're doing around the NFT space, also with AI, AI also. So I'm just interested to share your knowledge with the audience and everyone listening. So, um, this before we go into it in regards to what you do and whatnot, I think it's good to get a background of yourself, um, in regards to yeah, what have you been doing uh, be- before this NFT space popped up. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, I've been an AI or been an artist since as long as I could remember. Just always wanted to paint in the in the sense, you know, the the old romantic sense of I, I just want to have a paintbrush and everyone has their dreams when they're a kid. Mm-hmm. And mine was like, it wouldn't be great to make a living or, or like, you know, my purpose on this planet would be paint paintings. I look back in hindsight and I was, you know, it was kind of overly romantic and silly because I, I, I don't know. I, I think all of us artists are a little bit of too much of dreamers at heart. And then, um, so always painted. And then um, I, I I started my family and, and I was still painting, but I found out that I had less and less time to paint. Uh, and, and I was, and I'd prefer to spend time with my family. And so I, I came up with this scheme as I was build a machine or robots to help me paint. So I, and then I would, you know, while I was hanging out with the kids and wife during the day, the robot would paint. And then at night when all the kids were asleep, I would go into the studio and, and finish up the paintings. And that was about 15 years ago, I started making robots to paint for me and, and just sort of like be my studio assistants. Um, they started off super simple. They started off like, you know, connecting dots and filling in, you know, paint by numbers, just like, you know, just like humans start off really simple. Mm-hmm. And then, but every year I'd add a little AI and I'd make it a little smarter. Like in the beginning, I think I just did like simple things like, you know, how to take a photo and turn it into a couple colors was one mm-hmm. of the first algorithms. Uh, and it uses, it uses AI algorithm called K-means clustering. But then it got more and more complicated and more and more sophisticated. And, and then deep learning came along. And with deep learning, once deep learning was put into the robots, that things really took off. Uh, I would say, you know, it's they are not the artists, and I and I get hate mail uh, to this day. I get a lot of hate mail about, you know, like why are you trying to make an artist to take away jobs from all the other artists? They aren't artists, and they're not taking away anyone's jobs, but they are creative. And and I, and I really, you know, I have this really deep understanding because I'm trying to teach these things to be as creative as I am. And, and I would, I could, I have a lot of demonstrations and, and a, a deep belief that while they're not artists, they are creative. Um, yeah. In many I mean, ways, as creative as us. 
Um, I could imagine you get a lot of pushback, uh, Pin. Uh, like, like you said, like, I could imagine why you're getting a lot of pushback because people are very reluctant to use machines for anything. Um, yeah. So, because you, you're using that side, and the one thing that we say humans have is creativity that machines haven't. You're kind of like teaching them <laughs> how yeah. to. <laughs> yeah, the last. Yeah, and it gets me on it. It does. You know, I get a, I get a lot of interviews and and questions from the press, and they have this narrative they're pushing right now, mm-hmm. and their narrative is that the machines are coming to take our jobs. And, you know, and and we as humans. We sort of define ourselves by what we do, so it's like you know, like it's it's a it's a direct attack on our um, identities and our mm-hmm. purpose, and 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 journalists love this that narrative right now. So yeah, yeah. I get that. <laughs> I see when you were describing the way you um you thought you you were gonna create these machines to help you paint, you kind of remind me of like the minions, <laughs> like you go into your dungeon, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Got these little machines helping you to take over the world, so on, so. I just find that funny, but that's the real purpose. That's the real thing. It's just this all this art is just a ruse. As I develop these, it'll be smart enough to take to march on the capitals. So, so um, like okay, so you you class yourself as an AI artist. You, mm-hmm. I'm assuming you have a background in coding. I'm assuming clearly because or did you teach? I do yourself? now. No, I I um it was yeah, I got into coding at the I was a graphic designer mm-hmm. and the dot com era was happening around two thousand. Um, and this is before I got into robotics, but, um, you know, I just, I got into a place doing graphic design and I came to a realization that, um, that a lot of the graphic design I was doing, uh, could be sped up by doing code and it's just coding. I don't know. I, I was the luckiest thing that ever happened to me in my life is that coding exists because back then, you know, I, I was just an artist looking for a job and graphic artist, and, and I was making a good living as a graphic artist, but, um, but, you know, not like, uh, what a coder did and does and um and it was hard to raise a family until i discovered what code was mm-hmm. and and i and a, a really long-winded response i got into coding because it, it offered this way to like um you know get a house raise my kids um and i was lucky enough that it was just easy for me okay so like really lucky <laughs> yeah it's lucky because it's not that easy to do. i mean what you're doing i can imagine that is there's got to be a lot of it's going to be a technical side to it and i mean like yeah. you like it, it did start off simple you said Mm-hmm. But you obviously you've 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 kept talk, edu- educating yourself and you made these these robots now they're able mm-hmm. to paint these amazing paintings that are in in the background so i mean nice. tell me a bit about that journey like how how do you how long did it take to get to that and i mean what kind of how many is you were trying to create more time for yourself but wouldn't you put yeah. the time into doing this well that, that backfired <laughs> i was trying to create more time for myself and instead i'm just up all hours of the night now but you know actually i i made it a little too easy i said coding came easy to me it's easy coding. i don't know how to clarify this uh while the coding was simple to me these neural networks that run the deep learning is probably the hardest thing i've ever had to do in my life and i'm quite open with the fact that i've failed miserably multiple times uh I really, when I saw deep learning, it, it was, you know, so I did coding for about 10, 15 years before I discovered deep learning. Okay. And, and when I, when I got into deep learning, um, repeated failure, really hard to conceptualize. One of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. It's got all this linear algebra, matrix, mathematics, uh, um, calculus. Um, and the thing I'm open about is I failed three courses. You know, I take online courses. There's some mm-hmm. famous ones like Andrew Ng's. Um, I failed three courses before I finally got it. 
Mm-hmm. And, and even then when I got it, I was like, I, I barely understand it. And, and, um, and I can barely get it to work, you know, but like, you know, like uh, I am proud of the fact that, you know, this was a year long journey mm-hmm. of, you know, three failed courses and, and multiple books until finally, I know the page on page 126 of grokking deep learning. I finally, I was like, Oh my goodness, I get this. Uh, and like, I remember it clicked and I wrote a neural network to like, uh, I forget what it was. It was a neural network uh, to, um, I think it was, you know, just to, to predict real estate data. But, um, but once I got the world neural network to work and I looked at it and I was like, Oh my goodness, I get it. I get it. I finally wrote a neural network. Um, a year, it took more than a year and, and, um, and three failed courses. Mm, okay. and, and then I started writing them uh, and they were hard, still hard to write, but then I started writing them with a little regularity. Yeah, what, what, one thing I was going to point out is at the time you committed um, and you've in, invested into doing this. And I saw that people may look in yourself and say, oh, you're using the computer to do the art. That's cheating. You're not, you're not putting as much work in, but the work mm. is still there. I mean, you're learning yeah. the, the stuff behind it in order to make it work. Now, um, obviously, I'm really interested. How does it work? And on a very simple um, ex- mm. explanation, I know you put the code in, but explain to me how does it work um, in regards to picking the right paints to, if it makes an error, does it make an error? Like them kind of things. I'm really interested in that. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the thing that sort of separates, you know, my AI and robots from most of the other, not all the others, but most of the others is, um, I try and make it paint like me. So how does it work? You know, think about an artist. An artist, how does an artist work? And, and if you look at a classical abstract expressionist, an abstract expressionist might um, put a canvas in front of them, take a look at the canvas, dip their brush in, and paint and, and apply a little paint somewhere to that canvas. They don't, I don't know, depending on their style, it can go anywhere. But then after they apply that brush stroke, the artist steps back, takes a look at the canvas and uh, does a little like analysis. What am I going to do next? And then puts another stroke, takes a step back from the canvas uh, based on how the two brushstrokes are interacting, makes a third stroke over and over again. And this is what artist uh, Paul Clay called uh, a feedback loop. And mm-hmm. feedback loop sounds like a computer science term, but it was actually, uh, I learned about it from Paul Clay. Um, so I was like, this is really interesting. And, I, and without going into the long story behind us, like, wouldn't it be cool if my robots did this? So there is a camera on my robots. And, um, and the robots are constantly taking a picture of the canvas and they have 24 different AI algorithms running in their mind, in their brain, deciding what to do with the next brushstroke. But the big thing they do is they, they take a step back, take a picture of the canvas and use a picture of what they're painting as input into uh, what they should do next. And, and you mentioned like, you know, what's it do when it makes mistakes? You know, one of the reasons as you can look over my shoulder, one of the reasons I have the canvas is painting at an angle is because I like the paint to drip. And, and I, you know, just this cool drip effect. And you'll see it in a lot of my paintings because those drips are actually detected by the robot and the robot tries to repair them. So, you know, while, you know, all AI and generative artists rely a little bit on random numbers, mm-hmm. you know, to like affect the outcome of their, their, their algorithms. Um, instead of relying on out random numbers, this uh, robot for some like, you know, for a little bit of, um, uh, I guess serendipity, uh, change things that relies on the actual paint uh, being applied too thick and then starting to drip. And then when it sees it's dripping, it goes and tries to replace it. But that often fails because, you know, what are you, what are you going to do to replace dripping paint except add more paint? Yeah. And when you add more paint, it just drips more. And it's just like it just chases this image. And, and I love the look. Uh, and it's a look that's developed over 15 years. 
Okay, that's real so. interesting. So you almost made set up the robot to fail to yeah. create a certain look, uh, which you've yeah. created in the, in the background. Because I was going to think that because one thing that come to mind is okay. Then you, I know it's programming, it's you inputting um, the, the coding, but as artists may say, it's all about expression, how you feel at the time. Mm. You see them. How how do you get that side across, or um, is that your input? Would you say that the way you angle it? you're creating a style that way. How does it, do you put in a, do you put the code in to feel sad? And then they, <laughs> they go, I'm going to paint something sad or something excited. I mean, how does that work? Or it just isn't, it isn't because initially you're just telling something, the robot something to do, aren't you? Is that right? Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's, it's, I give it like, um, I give it a, a nudge in the right direction. And like, yeah. you know, the, the, the reason I say that, you know, I, I always clarify to people that I'm the artist. It's not the artist is I'm the one deciding to make a painting that day. And I'm yeah. deciding whether it's going to be a portrait, whether it's going to be uh, one of my bit gans, whether it's going to be, you know, you can see Robness's portrait over the shoulder and, and, and then I sort of give it a, a, a nudge and I show it some training data. It's like, here's your inspirations for doing this. You know, I'm like right. to, to focus in on Robness top, you know, but right above the robot there is I gave it a bunch of pictures that had Robness posts for a couple of pictures and I gave it a bunch of pictures. Then I also gave it a bunch of previous paintings that it had already done. Okay. And it studied paintings that it had already done, but I chose those and then studied Robness's face and then made another painting. Yeah. So, but I sort of set the mood for it. You know, yeah. I, I sort of uh, pick um, the emotional. There are a lot of gimmicks out there and, and I avoid them. Like I could definitely, I had like, gosh, 10 years ago, I remember. I once did a portrait of the Pope because yeah. I had this thing where I would, I would just track social media trends. And um, if something was trending on social media, you know, like as an emotional flashpoint, it would paint down the Pope had just died. So my robot picked a bunch of images of the Pope off the internet mm -hmm. and uh, started painting it. Didn't really care. No, you know, but it's, you know, there's ways to give it, to give it emotion, uh, human emotions. Yeah. And that, it's kind of like you're, you're giving it, um, you're creating, uh, I would say a, a sum and the calculation will be the outcome. So you're giving all these different features. Would, would you say that's fair to say, like giving all these different features and saying, yeah. here's a mix. You don't know what's going to be the outcome. So there's the art and the creations made. Yeah. What you, your, your input. So, okay, that yeah, makes definitely. sense. That's interesting. Okay, so let's talk about leading up. Okay, you've been doing this. Where does, where does the NFTs come into it? And where who, who told you about NFTs, first of all? Or did you oh, interesting. Um, no, I wanted to, you know, it's interesting. I, uh, one thing is as much as being, as well as being an AI artist, I'm also a, a fanboy, and I collect AI art. I got a pretty good collection actually. Um, and, and I was just collecting, I was collecting art and I, and I saw one artist, uh, that I wanted. Um, and I, uh, I got in touch with that artist and say, Hey, I need to get some art. And, and, uh, um, I usually, you know, but when I began, it was like 15 years ago, I, I think I knew every other robot artist in the world because there are so few of us. Yeah. And, and I would just, I would just cold call other artists and just say, Hey, what's up? You know, how are you doing? I made a bunch of good friends that way. You know, I, I've known Patrick Trissette, for example, forever. Um, he was one of the first I ever stumbled upon. There's other, I used to talk to Harold Cohen a lot. Okay. Uh, Harold Cohen made Aaron like in 1970. Wow. Um, you know, so anyway, and, and it, it brought me to super rare and I was buying stuff on super. Rare. I was like, I don't know why I might not join. Uh, I was skeptical. I would make it on. But uh, Super was brand new at the time. It's not like it was today where they have 10,000 applications a week. Yeah. I think um, I think when they got my application, uh, I think they didn't have any applications or, or something <laughs> because, uh, you know, I got 
I got in and they made all these, I was like, look, I'm not even a digital artist. I make paintings. Is that okay? And they're like, yeah, sure. I think I was talking to Jonathan. And then, then they would say, and I was like, well, look, and these aren't one of ones because I'm taking a photo of my canvases. Is that, did you, should I destroy my canvases afterwards? And they just didn't care because they just needed artists back then. Yeah. Um, and so luckily I was one of the early ones, one of the first on Super Rare. And, uh, but I was you know, that wasn't my first foray into, into cryptocurrency and, um, and crypto is, you know, back then they weren't called NFTs. I don't even know what they were called. Uh, they weren't even called crypto art. Uh, I forget what they were called, but you know, before mm. super rare, that was the yeah. first time into Ethereum, but okay. before super rare, I had two Bitcoin projects. Uh, one was I, I verified 128 paintings on the, the BTC blockchain. Okay. And then about three years before that, maybe four, I forget, but I had this project called crowd painter mm-hmm. where I would open up the robot to the internet and anyone that can come to a website and paint with a robot. Like you just go to the website and you okay. could like uh, paint like in, in the robot, which is paint for you. It's a, a paint, whatever you told it to, you could drag your finger across the screen or, or use a mouse or whatever. Yeah. And, and the idea I had was like, uh, what if I hook this up to Bitcoin? So I made it so that you could use Bitcoin and, and I made it so that people could buy strokes with Bitcoin and uh, oh, and then I, and the whole idea behind it was that you owned a percentage of the painting in proportion to how many strokes you made. Two people used it, crazy. and like so. That, yeah, that, but that concept you just said, I just think that's crazy. Yeah, I know it's like <laughs> fractionalization of the art, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, you know, it's funny. It's like you know, like in this world of firsts, you know, everyone's always in the empty world. They're always about firsts. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I don't think any of these things are firsts that people are doing these days. Mm. So many people have done these small little projects. If someone did that right now, which I wouldn't be surprised if someone already hasn't. I've, I've interviewed a, a company called Async.Art, and they've, yeah. they've got that layering process. Yeah. So um, you can buy layers, and then you can change them yourself as a collector. But mm. almost, say, almost the same. But I think that I, what you've done there was, yeah, I think that's a great idea. I think that, yeah. But yeah, carry yeah. on. <laughs> no, wait, I don't know. I mean, it's maybe it was too early for its time. First of all, the art came out looking wacky. It was horrible. You crowdsourced anything. Um it looks, it looks, you have no idea where it goes. More jokers come in and start painting than um, an actual artist. Yeah. <laughs> but some of them came out great. There's a great Lincoln portrait, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it actually won my first international award. Uh, I got shortlisted at the Barbican. Wow. Uh, but, but only two people ever paid Bitcoin. It was an option. You could pay oh. Bitcoin, you could just paint. Uh, and so I don't know, I don't even know if I followed through on, I might've just returned their money or something. I forget. It was, I considered a nonsense, but that was my first foray into crypto and art. And second one was I, I verified 128 paintings on the blockchain that I gave away at an event in New York. So when did you decide to do NFTs with your work? Very or very early super rare. Like I mean, I think my tokens in the hundred, like a hundred something. It was initially on super rare then. So initially you got on super rare, and then I mean, because I can see obviously the people that when you're on your Twitter, you got some quite big collectors that follow you, some people within the space. So and obviously you're you're selling your work, you're doing quite well. Uh, We'll we'll go into that. So I mean, when did it start picking up for you? Um, you you, like that? Yeah, when did it start picking up for you and people? Yeah, that's a good question. Um. You know, that's I, I love helping out other artists figuring out how to find it because I feel really fortunate. Um, the, the curse of the world of the artist is there's so many good artists out there. Um, and I would say maybe one percent 
less than 1%. 0.1% is making any money because it's such a fun thing to do. People are going to do it without making money. And of those 0.1% making any money, uh, most of them, it's a hustle. I would say like only 1% of those are making money that more than they can make a live on, living on. So very, very rare. And I'm lucky enough to be one of the ones that finally, after you know a lifetime of working on art, finally, uh, it's paying off. Uh, and when did it start paying off? It started paying off about a year ago. Okay. Um, Quite fresh. Yeah. My, my first super artwork, I mean, they were ridiculous. Like everyone was just um, trading. It was like, a, I, I would never call them swap trades, but I mean, I remember I'd buy like, I would do is I would buy Hackatow for 20 bucks. And then like, you know, two days later, Hackatow would buy my, one of mine for 20 bucks. Yeah. There was a lot of that going like, on at the start. Yeah. And everyone just supporting each other in it, supporting each other and saying, look, let me. Yeah, you're just about supporting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and like in like uh, and I just remembered um, those were the only buyers. There weren't any. Other. There was like maybe like I'd say Zach uh, from Super was the first non-artist to buy my work. But then he turned into an artist. You know, I consider his Roses series like one of the best series in crypto. Um, so, yeah. And, and I remember after he bought mine, I was so flattered. I went and bought a bunch of his. And, <laughs> and if you look at if you look at Rose's collection, he's got some of the best collectors in the space like you know like a lot of artists that don't collect own a roses because you know yeah. roses spend so much of his ethereum on other artists i think i have this theory that of all the artists and collectors out there he is probably the first buyer of more artists than any other person uh in the in the community okay. so anyway yeah that's how it used to be it used to right, be a lot of us buying each other's work so um, this is your this is when you're doing these one-off pieces now, yeah. tell me about, I'm really, because uh, this goes back to what you initially said with the whole robots taking over the world. Now, when I've yeah. read about the BitGans and mm -hmm. the concept behind that, that gave me that kind of <laughs> that yeah. feeling of the robots taking over the world, the way you described it, and you probably did that on purpose, um, the whole, the create that whole mystery, gamified yeah. side of it. But tell me about BitGans and obviously NoGans and oh, BitGans. Yeah, sure. like, <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> Well, BitGans, you know, BitGans, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay in character here, okay? Uh, but one day, one day I just, you know, I came, I, just, I was, my robot was working away and I saw my, my uh, what do you call it? my GPUs, my graphics card started, the fans started, turned on, started spinning and they were going crazy. I was like, what's going on? So I went to go check out my computer and just these images were pouring out of them. I had no idea what they were, these crazy little guys that were like dancing and moving around. Um over the course of the next couple of weeks, I found out they called themselves BitGans. And you can go see them at BitGans.com. Uh, but they're straight from my GPU. They're creating themselves. They're minting themselves. And uh, I have no control over them. And we're just, you know, I'm, I'm along with the rest of us, rest of you all, like finding out why they're coming, what they want, why they're here. Uh, the only thing I know about them for certain is there's only going to be 2,048. Uh, each of them has a seed phrase from the BIPR three, uh, 39 list. Um, you know, the I guess the 2048 um, words that we're allowed to use to unlock our wallets, uh, that convention. So that since there's only 2048, I think we're at like three or 400 of them. And um, more about 64 to 100 get released every month. Uh, often they often come in themes. I it, it's it's really it's probably the most fun project I've had, and and it, and um, as a crypto artist, it's the one that finally let me break out of this dilemma I had. And the dilemma I had was, um, I think that 
digital scarcity is is valuable. I think it's real, but I can't. And this is just me speaking as an artist in my own personal experience. I can't understand additions. Um, and the reason I say that is, you know, like um, a lot of artists have done additions and I've done additions, so I'm not condemning anyone, but uh, <laughs> why would I say condemning anyone? I've done additions, so I'm not judging anyone for doing additions because we all got to do what makes sense to our own art. Yeah. But, you know, it, it didn't make sense to my art. Uh, it just made, you know, I have this machine that replicates things behind me. And, and but it replicates things with a, a little different. I can't, it won't paint the same thing twice because of all the dripping paint. And I was like, you know, that's sort of like what's indicative of my art. It, it doesn't matter that I have this AI making all this art. It's, there's never a repeat. And so I could never justify making an addition for myself. Um, after I realized that I felt guilty and I actually spent quite a lot of money rebuying all my old editions and destroying them. So luckily I only made like three or four of them. Uh, and it costs a lot of money to buy them all back, except for one. I left one out there, uh, and and I just and I burned um, the rest. And so, like now, you can't find a Van Armen edition. Um, and so the Bitgans helped me out because it's you know the answer was sitting there all along is every single one can be different. You know that's like I, and I, and I'll challenge any artist that's doing editions. You know mm -hmm. I challenge you is like you know it's so the technology is there and the digital it's it's a possible for you to make every single one you make a 10 off edition but make all 10 a little different you know take the time to make them a little different to add that value and that's the challenge i would have like i think in the crypto art world is it's possible to be an artist and make all one of ones um, if they character i want to ask you a question what we're saying in character to the big guns now who what do you mean in character i don't, I don't understand <laughs> in regards to obviously where, where these things came from nobody knows yeah. um the collecting what kind of help are you looking for because obviously i see the journal on there oh, you'd yeah. be writing down your notes and yeah you're trying to discover this so you need certain kind of individual to come out and look and help you explore what these actually are so tell me a bit about the journal yeah what, the, what the, you well, yeah like every couple of days uh we get a new puzzle and the, and the bit cans they won't tell us what they want or why they're here but they, they're just like puzzle after puzzle after puzzle and i, I have to say my collectors are, are super wicked smart because some of these puzzles as i'm like no way anyone's gonna understand this one and like you know five minutes later an answer pops up like after i uh i think there's one that i thought would never this is actually one of the best ones is during the the last big drop all the bit cans had um they have traits you know rarity traits and um and this was the first time people realized that one of the rarity traits everyone thought it was random words but someone picked up on the uh, uh on the fact that these random words that were associated with every single bitcan was was a seed phrase a word from the the list of 2048 words that you could do to um you know to uh, pneumatic device to unlock your wallets and then and then they found a pattern uh inside the uh, bitcans with numbers and they were able to, it took only three hours for an individual named uh, N-O-O-H-P, Noop, I think he's pronounced, uh, the name is pronounced. It took him three hours to decode the factor. The whole community figured out together that it was a seed phrase and it took Noop three hours to uh, unravel what 24 of the, um, 
um, I think it was a 64 bid can drop. What 24 of them were the relevant seed phrases because they all had seed phrases, and then the order of the of the seed phrases. And this is something that you know, I think one person was trying to brute force once he found all the seed phrases. He's trying to brute force, and it would have taken you know 10,000 years or something, even though he knew the the seed phrases. So anyway, so the bid cans they they and oh, and after that, Noop went and opened the wallet, and he found in the wallet he found the perpetrator, this uh, bid can called Qubit. And uh, the Qubit GAN had cracked the code and, and he was helping all the BitGANs escape, um, sort of like one of, I'm not sure if he's evil or not, or it is evil or not, but it was definitely trying to get the BitGANs to escape and go into different wallets and get out into the material physical world. So they're basically, they're coming out of my GPUs mm -hmm. and they're just trying to find themselves into the physical world. Uh, and that's one example of it where they they had this, this one, the Qubit GAN, who I guess had quantum technology uh, figured out a way to cracking codes and um it was only with noob's help where we were able to capture them and then another thing you'll see happening and this yeah. is going to be big because i got another drop coming soon is go uh go <laughs> is some of the collectors discovered you know there's these flaming bitgans and some collectors discovered that if you put the flaming if you burn a flaming bitgan with another bitgan it'll actually take over my painting robot and you'll see them they're painting those are forged bitgans back there they oh. come from uh they come from two burned bitgans, as long as one of them, which has a, a rarity trait of flaming. So, so the whole community is discovering these weird things about these bitgans and why they're here, what they're doing. And I think, you know, mm. we're beginning to think that their ultimate purpose is to get into the physical world. You know, they started in the GP, the digital world. They're trying to get in the physical world. We're not sure why. Uh, it's not completely clear what they're trying to tell us. But you know, every week we learn more, and every drop. Uh, we get more clues, and and I hope by the end, by 2048, uh, we will finally know why why they started appearing. <laughs> well, definitely, everyone definitely wants to be involved, and there is high demand because the floor price is 32 ETH. So yeah, it's um, crazy, it's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> so I mean, I'll, 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 yeah, they're very generous. Soon, I'll, I'll say this, and people think I'm crazy for this. Is when I release them, I release them at 0.1 ETH, and I do everything I can. So, like, and and and. Yeah, I release them at 0.1 ETH and, um, or I'm sorry, they release themselves at 0.1 ETH. <laughs> and, um, and despite this and, and a commitment that every drop is going to be affordable, you know, they're not going to commit to a number because who knows what the value of ETH is in, in a year. It looks like a two year project, but it's always going to be like, you know, uh, floor, floor prices, entry level prices. And um, despite that, the floor is insane. Yeah. Uh, and, and also every time they, you know, and, and counterintuitively, every time they release themselves at 0.1 ETH, the floor gets swept. And, and like, you're like, hey, just a bunch just got released at 0.1 ETH. Why are you buying them at, you know, 6, 7, 8 ETH? Uh, but I think it's because, oh, yeah. I was going to say, ultimately, you created this problem because you you have the, it was your computer that done it. So um, we have to put it through at somebody. <laughs> well, they're, they're appearing to me for a reason. I'm not, I'm not sure. But so, yeah, so um, I'm their chosen one. But then are you, so whoever solves this, whoever who gets to the end and helps you solve this, is there a reward? Yeah, lots of rewards. Like I was saying, when, when Noob solved uh, the uh, seed phrase one, yeah. uh, the Qubit GAN gave himself over, and that's an ultra rare, as well as another bit GAN and a whole ETH. So okay. there's rewards like that. There's riddles that like unlock them. Um, but there's a, this is, here's a, uh, this is something I've been committing to for a while. Um, I, I, they've revealed, they're revealing a little bit about the algorithm to me that, that created them. Mm. And at 1024, when the project reaches the halfway point, it's all going to be open source. They're going to share everything, all the art that created these things, the algorithm that makes them. 
And so there's going to be, um, you know, ultimate reward to the community is at halfway through the project, everything's going to be revealed. Anyone's going to be able to, uh, you know, the BitCans are going to let themselves be manifested on any computer by anyone. And something I'm looking forward to because once the BitCans open themselves up like that, I have no idea what's going to happen. What are going to people, what are they going to reveal? How, what form are they going to reveal to people in the community at that point? So but we, know, will, we, we will definitely know, yeah. find out. It'd be dangerous, but you know, so I'm long, but it's too much of a burden for me to handle alone. So I think that's the, the best uh, description of a project that I've had on so far. It was, <laughs> I enjoyed There's, that. Enjoyed that. Yeah, no problem. You know, the, the big thing is there's a big riddle. I'll finish this with this. It was a riddle that just appeared the other day. And, and the answer to the riddle was beware the Ides of November. Um, the, the BitGans are putting messages through a portal in crypto voxels. You can check out BitDan. Yeah, I, I did. I did. I did, okay. I did see that. So they open. They op have they opened the portal? Is that was that? What they opened done? a portal. Yeah, and it looks like a Minecraft portal, which is interesting. And okay. uh, um, and they send messages through that portal. And one of them is beware the Ides of November. And and you know what's interesting is I do have that drop on brain drops on November 15th, which is going to be a big drop. Uh, I'm dropping 1,024 pieces of art, but the Ides of November is November 13th. So I'm not sure if they're connected. It's kind of interesting. Well, so. This is why uh, everyone's going to stay vigilant and be a part of it. And yeah, because not together. even I know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, the brain drops is again, Justin Trimble and, and Gene Kogan and Claire Silver, you know, the Gene and, and Claire are going to be the other two artists. They're a little irritated with me because, you know, they're like, what are you, what are you dropping? I said, I don't know. It's, it hasn't revealed itself to me yet. And well, we got a week to go. Well, I don't know when you're going to, when we're going to broadcast. So. All right, cool. So let, let, tell me, uh, Pinda, what other projects are out there that you're interested in, whether uh, whether they're PFP or generative, like Fidenza, mm. like things like that, or an artist that you know of, because you've been in there from quite early. So is there one out there you think, look, I love their work, I collect all their work, or oh, yeah. a project that you're a part of and you're just committed, like it could be cryptods, like everyone seems to be looking. Yeah, yeah. You know, like um, I, uh, I, have, I have so many favorites and I'm a big collector. Um, and so, uh, uh, I'm just fortunate enough to have been collecting from the early days. So that I have a good collection. Mm -hmm. So best is if I just tell you stuff I've done recently and that way, you know, since I have so many favorites, um, yeah. it, it, so recently, uh, the big things that stick out to me recently are, are Gene Kogan's work. Cause he's actually going to be doing a drop on brain drops okay. and Gene Kogan is like, you know, when you look at crypto artists and you look at AI artists, um, he is possibly one of the most popular, at least, you know, from my understanding of things, AI artists in the AI art world, just always shares his code. You know, he's set up, he's the first artist that I am aware of to ever do uh, GANs as art. Um, you know, and like, you know, a lot of other people get, get credit for being the, um, uh, what do you call it, the uh, pioneers. But he was just, he's just, he doesn't toot his own horn. So he is doing a big uh, AI art drop on Brain Drops, November 15th. And, um, and I've seen some sneak peeks at it and, and I'm, I'm such a big fan of him as an AI artist and always have been just, you know, for his reputation and the work he's done in the AI art world and what he's done for other people. That's probably the biggest drop along with Claire Silver is going to be in that drop as well. Okay. So those are two things I'm really looking forward to November 15th brain drops and also the continuation of the brain drops project. It's, it's going to be, um, a platform for, uh, AI art drops. So that's always okay. interesting.
All right. So, what about any? Is there any programmable pro, programmable art that you you like mm. that you that you're out there, whether they're PFP or things like Fidenza? I'll, I'll tell you a PFP that I think is is going to be super amazing, and a lot of work's going into it. And it's uh, it's uh, um, Stella Bell's crypt. Uh, I'm sorry, Crypto Stellas. Okay. Uh, I don't know if. Um, She's going to make 777 of them. She put so much work into each PFP that I don't know how she's going to do 777 of them, but she's already done 60, 50 or 60. They're gorgeous. She releases them like I do with the Bidgans, or like the Bidgans do with themselves for, you know, very affordable price. And the, and the, um, and the floor shoots up. I think the floor might be at five ETH or something. And, and she's giving them out for 0.1 ETH or 0 0.08 ETH. I'm not sure. But that's uh, crypto stellas are, are actually amazing. A lot of work goes into it and they're funny. I don't know how she comes up with so many funny pieces. Um, oh, yeah. Another good one is done. Um, uh, okay, done in her Hout series. Uh, she does this series of like just memories. And it's the best use of language I've, I've seen in the crypto art space. Um, I would suggest that one. Um, an artist I work with a lot is um, Kitty Life Art, and, and she does these really subtle photo, uh, portraits of, you know, just like really straightforward, simple portraits that I, I'm a big fan of. Um, you know, okay, I, you know what I just did? I just went through, I went back and went chronologically of recent purchases, so uh, that's probably where I'll stop there. All right, so then there are guys to check out definitely, especially from your recommendation, could be because you've been collecting for a while. Back onto your project, I've seen you. Obviously, you made an announcement that you do for your collectors they get hundred uh, percent equity, yeah, uh, for royalties. Talk to me about that and why have you done that for yeah. your collectors? I, I do that for the same reason the Bitcans release themselves at point one ETH is because you know it's like um, I found that as a collector, I love. I mean, this is. I've had some pretty crazy um, uh, success with, you know, flipping uh, NFTs. And and I just realized how fun that is. And as an owner of the art, you know, just how rewarding it is. It's like, well, I found this artist before this artist was selling for a lot. And, and here I am selling, you know, and like yeah. uh, selling for big profits. And it just makes it so fun for me that I just want to give all my collectors that much fun. So, you know, I know, for example, that with the with the Bidgans, they know that they could raise their price. But then if they raise their price to be the market, no one would have fun flipping them. And I think a big part of the a big part of the um, the fun of having a, a Bidgan is and most people don't flip them. That's why the floor is so insane. But, you know, a big fun of it is you can, you know, you own it and, and you, you made this like really good um this savvy purchase of art that's going to pay off. Uh, so I, I just want to give people that opportunity. And, and, and so with uh, bid GANs, I do that with the, the low release prices, even though, you know, they, they sell out in, in seconds. Uh, but on my super rare work, I've, I've gone as well to make, you know, super rare gives me uh, 10% of all royalties. And, um, and they also do this thing. Now they do this thing now where they split the 3% royalties that they used to get with all the previous collectors. And uh, and since they have that mechanism, there's a place I can go look to see how the money was split. And then I can just mimic, uh, imitate whatever super rare. The super rare sends um, you know, half of that 3% to two different uh, collectors. I will send, I will split my 10% up evenly and, and do a third to myself, a third to those each of those two collectors. And it's only, I can only do it because super rare does the accounting and, and the tracking of, of who to send these things and which wallets to send it to. But I'm, I'm matching that. Um, and it's just so, you know, I actually have a lot of regret. Uh, 
you know, I have some pieces that I sold that I don't regret because I sold them financially because, you know, they're the great flips, but I regret that I'm not part of the pieces story anymore. You know, like, and we're talking some big ones. We're talking X copies, Genesis piece. We're talking, uh, Hackatow's early works. We're talking. And, um, you know, every time I sell these big pieces, it's for a record. And, and, you know, I've even talked to the artist, talked to X copy, and I'll be like, Hey, you know, do you mind, you know, should we sell it? And, and, and all these times, these artists, just like my recent sale, like my recent sale from um, um, Prometheus uh, to Camozo, um, it's good for us artists. And so like in each of the times I've sold X copies, every single time it's been a record breaker. Um, you know, at the time it was the highest price of a, like, you know, it was the first hundred ETH sale of an X copy was one of mine uh, wow. that I sold. Wow. And uh and, and also before that, it was the first one that was over $1,000 USD. And so like, you know, these things are like landmarks and really great for the artists that I'm selling, but, but they left me a little, like a little empty in that I let go of a piece I really loved. Yeah. Um, and so like, I, I, I always thought to myself, wouldn't it be cool if I was still part of the story? Luckily, Superware has implemented that. Um, like for example, that recent 3.9 million, uh, 13,000 ETH Camozo sale. Yeah. Yeah, I got a cut of that because I was the original owner. Uh, Super Rare gave me, uh, wow. I don't know how much Super Rare gave me. What they give me? 1%? For yeah, Super Rare might have given me 1% of it. part of it, though, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's, that's crazy in itself. Like, you're still, you're still a part of it because you're still, and will that, you reckon? Yes, I am. I am still yeah, a part yeah, of it. Yeah, but, yeah. And, and so that's why, that's why I'm doing that for my collectors. I'm, I'm making them an equal part of it. So it's like, you know, like we're partners. If you buy into, if you buy into my art, we're forever partners on that piece. Um, okay. And, you know, rumors are that Super Air is, you know, Super Air has already done the, the work to do 3%. Rumors are uh, they're interested. They've responded to my idea. They definitely say they like my idea of, of sharing royalties. Yeah. So maybe we'll see something coming out of Super Air where artists can, can do that uh, automatically on chain in the future. Who's been your biggest collector so far, name-wise, whether it's in the space or oh, you know, the world and celebrities-wise? Or uh, Biggest collector would be Roses. Uh, Coldy's another big collector. Uh, one of my favorite collectors is Colburn. Okay. Um, oh gosh, so many. They're, so, they're all celebrities. I, 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 the list is... <sighs> You know, I'm going to just, I'm going to do the same thing. So I don't forget a collector because I know I'm just going to list the last three. Uh, okay. It's safe. <laughs> be safe. What's that? <laughs> so be safe. You're not going to miss anyone out. Just yeah, say yeah. three of them. That's it. Just three last three. Yeah. That makes yeah. Sense. And then, um, so yeah. And then, and then the recent, the big recent one was uh, Camozo de Medici that um, he bought two of my works, uh, one of them for 80 ETH. And that was pretty amazing. I was actually, I was, I was actually talking to a gallerist today mm -hmm. and the gallerist, you know, um, I was ta talking to them about NFTs and, and I could sort of, um, you know, it's funny. It's like, I, this is why I love the crypto art world. It's like, it doesn't matter. All that matters is, is, is the relationships you build with your, your collectors mm -hmm. and, and, and the other artists and, um, and the, um, and I remember they just anyway, they were they're talking to me about all the opportunities in the city and they're they're talking it's like, but like the, and he was telling me about uh, another gallery and he's like, but this gallery does blue chip artists only. And mm -hmm. I was like, I'm, I'm just I was like, you know, I'm curious. I, I hear the word blue chip artist. What is a blue chip artist? And 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 it's like, oh, you, you got a while to go before then. And I was like, OK, what's a blue chip artist? And uh, um, and he told me um, hundred thousand and more hundred thousand USD and more is a blue chip artist. I was surprised. 
because yeah. of the amount of like NFT artists that are over easily over a hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. And, and I and I wanted to, but I kept myself from saying it. I was like, you know, my last one sold for three hundred fifty thousand. You know, yeah. maybe that gallery would be interested, but they're not. You know, it's like they were. We're all. It's interesting. Galleries are interested in us, but they're not because we found a way to go around them, and yeah. that doesn't work for them. And it cuts them out. Yeah, it cuts them out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, so it's a, it's a funny first world problem in that I've always wanted to be in a gallery and I've tried so hard over the years to get into one and I got into a couple of them, but in the end, I just realized super air is the place to be. And I'm just like, I don't think I would, I don't think I would give up the, um, the freedom I have at super rare at this point. Yeah. I feel that the, the, the future may be for galleries to, is to not deal with the artists, but to deal with the market NFT marketplaces. So they would display mm. the arts. You still use entity marketplaces to buy the the art or the piece of work, and they get a percentage that way through the through the marketplace rather than through the artists. Does that make yeah. sense? So it still can be seen because I feel that I still feel that people still want to go out and see uh, the these pieces of art, and you've got these wonderful wonderful displays um, that you can see them on, and you can put your headphones on and really be a part of the art, but. Yeah, I think that's the best way. Otherwise, I don't see how it's going to work between the artists and the galleries. Yeah, no, no, it's I've had. Yeah, I've had so many good experiences with gallerists. But uh, but the problem is, it's not when I don't nothing against them, because, you know, there's some they're all art lovers. Right. Yeah. But they're just not moving at the speed of NFTs, meaning like, you know, I'm still like I did a show. I'm not going to mention where the show was just I don't want to put the gallery on the spot, but it's been six months since they paid me and and it's not their fault they're just going through this like bookkeeping they're going through international tax law they're going through they got to send the money for something that's art overseas and um it's just taken six months and i'm like done with that you know and and they're very good-hearted people and they're trying their best but uh still like who wants to wait six months to get paid for something especially when you put so much money up front to do it yourself in the beginning um so yeah, this is the ugly side of art is the money <laughs> side right i can't yeah. wait to wear post-scarcity economy which maybe the metaverse will be and and everyone just makes art and it doesn't matter all, all that matters is what looks cool well i think we've got a long way to get there but it's it's a, it's a target isn't there it's a target yeah. towards that it's something uh, and everyone's got a, play, a part to play in regards to getting there um talk to me about the metaverse then um actually before i go to that is a uh, Come on, is it because is it because I'm but I can't even say his name properly. Uh, the, the collector, okay, yeah. but I, you know, I've, I've only texted so I don't, I'm, I'm only read up on the name. Uh, is it Snoop Dogg? Because the rumor is that he came out that it was him, is it? No, I did see that. Um, I thought because you, you work, could it potentially you may know if, um, it, if we can get that exclusive? <laughs> <laughs> um, You'd have to ask Kazoma your, your, yourself. Uh, um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, why would Snoop Dogg come out as Kazoma if it wasn't? So, yeah. Uh, if you yeah. But, uh, you know, Snoop Dogg does spend a lot of time going into NFT culture. And this person knows mm-hmm. everything about it that uh, there is to know. So, all right. Cool. 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 So, yeah, moving back, moving back to the original question I was going to ask you the metaverse. Where, like, what do you think that's how, I mean, obviously Facebook's announcement with Meta, obviously, where do you see things in the future? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, 
Yeah, you know, it, like I get into the metaverse, but I don't like wearing 3D. Uh, I have lots. I, I always get the most, the latest virtual reality goggles, okay. but I don't like them because it just like uh, takes me out of the space and, you know, I have kids running around. So, um, so, I, you know, I'm waiting for, I like going, I love crypto voxels. I love going into and just looking at you on my monitor as long as I don't have the VR glasses on. Yeah. But I, I, uh, I see it as like, you know, I just see digital scarcity as, as the next wave of things. You know, there's a good question. What's, I don't know why Facebook is getting into it. Uh, you know, talk, talk about making something super cool, uncool. Um, but uh, I don't know why they're getting into it. Um, this is a good question. I don't know why I'm in it. I love it. I, I love crypto voxels. I love Somnium space. I love Decentraland sandbox. Um, but I don't know why I love it so much. I, I just think maybe it's this opportunity to have a life less ordinary. Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, you know, the ready player one movie, you get to go yeah. in there and, and your digital assets are this whole new class of assets that you could flex. Uh, I think like, you know, I have no idea where it's going. I, I think that the, the community is like uh, defining it as, as we go. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see, it's going to be a, a brave, new, beautiful world. The cool yeah. thing is that there's so much design available and that anyone can be an architect, anyone can do, anyone yeah. can be a fashion yeah. designer. You're not limited by having to have, uh, you know, cloth and material and models or whatever, or whatever you choose to make. You're not limited because you can just get all the um, tools you want and just do it. So and it's like, you know. It will really, to a certain extent, I mean, obviously there's people who do it for a while, but you can kind of like, learn how to do these things and become a builder and i thought that yeah if you look at these the younger kids like you got you've got a you said you got a child too um yeah kids already in like minecraft they're already building they're already doing these things mm -hmm. so they're just going to be i feel that they're going to be very involved with what's going on they're going to be the true creators of what's going to happen in the in the coming future mm -hmm. that's what i believe um all right so one thing i like to kind of end the podcast on is how i want you to describe how you think the world's going to be in say the next 10 years. I mean, in your life, I mean, waking up and we're talking about including NFTs to the kind of work in AI yeah. and for that. How does it look? You wake up in the morning, what is it? you see what's going on. What are you doing? Hey, so it's 2021 and 2031. What's going to happen? Uh, I think that I'm looking forward to maybe two day work weeks. Okay. You know, for me, I'm, I'm an artist, so I, I yeah. it's like I, I'll keep on doing a seven day work week. But uh, for the you know, for the for the all of us, most of us, my children, a, a two day work week uh, where we do two days only for the man. And then um, and then the rest, it's like, you know, flipped it uh, and five days to pursue family, friends, art, uh, sports, whatever it is your passion is, you know. And, and I think this is going to be possible because I think AI is going to really take over the redundant jobs. And I think there's going to be a little like in five to six years, there's going to be a little friction where people are like, why are you taking my jobs? And then like at eight or nine years, you're going to be like, oh, I never wanted that job anyway. So I'm cool. We're good. How do people, you know, how do people survive in it? Because people are working five days a week at the moment to, or some people no working sense. longer to try and survive in this world. So how, how do people make money? Like capitalism and that stuff? Like, it what makes no sense to me. It's like, you know, it's like almost we're competing with ourselves because, you know, if you, even if you go back 100 years, how much more efficient are we as farmers than 100 years ago? Absurdly more efficient. Like two yeah. people can like farm square miles, you know, like used to be that, you know, you could only do an acre. 
you know, the acre has something to do with the definition of how much a person with a plow can do in one day, right? Yeah. But now, like, one person with the efficiency of farming can do, like, an entire Rhode Island, and, yeah. and you know, with all the machines they have. Uh, and and yet, even though we are so much more efficient than we were in the past, uh, we still have a scarce city economy where people are competing for the nicest houses in the, in the most expensive areas. I think we're going to get over that. I think there's enough food and energy, which is ultimately the only thing really needed. Uh, there's enough food and energy for all of us to start working 20% to 30% of the time. For some reason in America, we have a puritanical structure of like for some reason, and I don't know why. We think that if you're not breaking your back working, uh, you're, you're a leech on society. I think there's going to be an enlightenment moment in about five or six years where we're like, no, 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 I'm not, you know, I can... I am, I can contribute to society if I only work one or two days a week, you know, and, uh, and I think that's the biggest hurdle. The biggest hurdle is, um, and I don't know about other countries, but I know it here. Biggest hurdle is like ourselves realizing is like 40 hour work weeks should be a thing of the past. You know, we should like, you know, this is 10 years. I'm talking about two day work weeks. I'm 50 years. I'm talking about no day work weeks, like Star Trek. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to go explore the universe, go explore the universe. If you want to do nothing to go do nothing. If you want to play video games in your basement, I don't care. You know, do it. I but think I some... agree with you. I agree with you to a certain extent, but I don't think it's a systematic thing in regards to why people are tied up into why they, you talked about, it's about, I think it's about ownership personally. Mm. People don't own anything. So then they're, they're getting the money and they're spending, but they don't own anything. So they can't gain anything from what, because they don't have anything, nothing to own. They can't get like, mm. well, I think this is going to open up doors for a lot of people. Like you mentioned, people want to play games, but with NFTs, you may be able to do this play to earn thing. If you enjoy doing that, you're going to make a living playing games and it's going to be much more easier. Um, that's what I like. And that's why I think that's why I'm excited about NFTs. It's going to open up a lot of doors for people that are not skilled because people feel if you're not skilled in something, that pays a high wage, then you you're not going to survive like a, a starving artist, as they call it. But yeah, yeah, artists at the moment are doing very well in the NFT space. <laughs> so uh, things are changing. It's positive, and yeah, I hope it gets to where you're talking about because I love to work only one day a week. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm with you on your vision, and I'm with you on that. But um, ultimately, pin that it's been great chatting to you. Um, I'm happy you came on and shared your knowledge. I was really interested to see where this was going to go today, um, but it's been fun. It's it's yeah. No, I can't believe the time's already up. It's been great talking with you. Very easy, like yeah, it's been fun. All right. So, um, anybody, where can anybody contact yourself and reach out to you if they want to get in contact? Oh, uh, my my two big sites are well, Twitter Van Arman V A N A R M A N. And, uh, and then I have bitgans.com where you can learn about the bitgans and see what they're up to. And also cloudpainter.com. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and I, I check DMs on Twitter a lot. So just DM me there if you want to get in truck. Oh, you know, so there's a discord. You'll find that in the Twitter. Yeah. I guess the Twitter Van Arman has got the root of, of how to get in touch with me and how to find all my sites. Perfect. All right. Then, well, thank you for coming on. Uh, and thank you everyone for listening and watching everyone stay listening and stay blessed. Thank you.